You're listening to Killer. This is case number 20. Joe the Cannibal Matheny. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. We're about to begin. Joseph Roy Matheny was born March 2, 1955, and was from the Baltimore, Maryland area. His attorney said that he had been neglected as a child growing up in Essex, Maryland, and that his father was an alcoholic who was killed in a car accident when Matheny was six, and that his mother had neglected her six children while she worked double shifts outside the home. He said that he had been sent by his parents to live with other families in a foster-like arrangement as a child. Matheny falsely claimed that his mother was dead. His mother disputed various aspects of the story as well, saying that although they were, they were somewhat poor and she had to work hard as a waitress, barmaid, and food truck driver, she had provided her children with a normal family life and other children had never gone hungry or become homeless or been put into homes of other families, as Matheny had claimed. And the family had never resorted to government welfare. She said that Matheny was an above-average student, always polite and not mean as a child, and recalled him being an avid bicycle rider. He was smart and had a good childhood. If he was neglected, it was his own fault. It was a pretty good home, she said. He joined the U.S. Army when he turned 18 in 1973. His mother said he had served in the Army in Germany, although he himself claimed he had served a tour in Vietnam and had become addicted to heroin while in an artillery unit there. His mother said she had no recollection of him serving in Vietnam, and the circumstances of his service were reported as unverified in press reports and direct U.S. involvement in Vietnam had basically ended by that time. After he left home to join the military, he seldom contacted his mother. She said, he just kept drifting further and further away. I think the worst thing that ever happened to him was drugs. It's a sad, sad story. Yeah, and it's strange that, uh, you know, he says these things about his upbringing, and then his mother just disputes all of it. Yeah, how weird is that to, to say that you were in Vietnam? I mean, I... Don't have my history and dates correct, but I think it pretty much was wrapped up by 73, 74. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. So I'm not sure why he was lying about that other than maybe trying to boast a story, but it sounds like he had a pretty rough start. I mean, his dad got killed when he was six, and his mom was raising six children by herself with no government assistance. Yeah, and that, you know, I wonder how she afforded that. I mean, six kids, I have one and it's not cheap. I couldn't imagine having six of them. Yeah, I mean, I guess you figure out ways around it. I know that I came from a single parent home from the time I was seven, and it wasn't easy for my mom, for sure. And there were three of us, and she worked she worked two jobs and never, never tapped into the government assistance programs either. So, I mean, it can be done, but, I mean, we're talking about six kids, and that's just nuts. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> I guess depending on what his stances i mean being neglected could mean many different things like was it that she just wasn't there to give him constant attention you know or was it more or less 
like, were they really neglected? You know, like she didn't do enough. And, you know, when you're going to ask a mother and call her out, you know, she's going to defend herself. Like if she's busy working all the time and looking to the other kids to, you know, help out and, you know, make sure that they pull their weight and, you know, watch the rest of the kids, the older ones, watch the younger ones and that kind of thing. I mean, who knows what that was like for him, but from the mother's perspective, it doesn't seem like it was all that bad. Yeah. And yeah, she just basically summed it up by saying it's a sad, sad story and he was drifting away. So to me, it sound kind of sounds like it was just lack of attention. He was just left free to do what he wanted to do and went and did his own thing and probably ran into some, either some bad people or just bad influences in general and things spiraled from there. Yeah, definitely. On December 19th, 1996, Joe Matheny, 41, who authorities say preyed on women with drug or alcohol problems, was charged with killing three women. Matheny was first arrested for the slaying of a 26-year-old woman whom authorities said he met at the Borderline Bar and Restaurant in Arbutus, a Baltimore suburb. The decomposed body of the woman, Kimberly Spicer, was found under the trailer less than 10 feet from Matheny's own at the Joseph Stein & Son Pallet Company. Matheny was also charged in the killing of Tony Ingracia, a 28-year-old woman whose body was found in 1994 near Interstate 95, a short distance from the company. She had been stabbed and strangled. The third charge concerns a decapitated body of an unidentified woman. Police are also looking for the remains of a fourth victim, a man after Matheny allegedly confessed to killing him. Joe Matheny reportedly has confessed to killing 10 women in the Baltimore area and has been indicted in the murders of Kimberly Spicer, Tony Lynn Ingracia, and Catherine magaziner. Apparently, after spending time with his victims on what appeared to be casual normal terms, Matheny felt compelled to strangle the women. So this next part that we're going to cover is the Joe Roy Matheny confession, and then the second part of which is where he's telling his story. So we'll start with the confession and talk a little bit about that, and then jump into the actual words from Joe Matheny telling his story. To start out, I will tell you about myself at the present moment which is locked up. I am 48 years old. I weigh about 450 pounds and it's not all fat. I've been locked up for almost eight years now, but when one has been sentenced to a couple of life without parole sentences, time doesn't matter anymore. I have no problem with being locked up, for no one put me here but myself, and I deserve to be right here where I'm at, because I had 12 law-abiding jurors that told me so in a couple different cases. Ha ha. I was only convicted of two murders and one kidnapping for the one that got away. I got 50 years for her. The first murder I was sentenced to, life without parole. The second one, they gave me the death penalty. I sat on Maryland's death row for three years, and then they overturned my sentence and gave me another life without parole and sent me down here for the rest of my life. I killed seven people, three men and four women. Two men I chopped up with an axe under a bridge in South Baltimore. I was found not guilty for them because they couldn't prove I did it. Under that same bridge, I also killed two women and one man who was fishing, who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I weighed their bodies down and put them in that river. I showed the police where I put them about three years later, but they couldn't find them, so they could not charge me for them. My murder rampage started out as revenge, but ended up as a passion for the taste of blood and the overwhelming sense of power one gets from taking another life. That's a lot to unpack. Um, you know, he's... <laughs> He sounds pretty frank about his situation and uh, doesn't seem like he feels all too sorry for the people that he murdered. And at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, I deserved everything, <laughs> everything that came to me, which is kind of strange. You know, I feel like you would get like the opposite, like, you know, either you'd feel sorry and remorseful or 
you wouldn't care and then you'd think that you should be out on the streets like everybody else. Right. Yeah, there's definitely not a lot of remorse with this guy. And when I put this together to discuss, it, we it's kind of a different format than what we normally do. We, I mean, we jumped right into the convictions and the indictments. And a lot of the details, you know, I really wanted to talk about and cover, and some of them which were pretty egregious, what he talks about in his confession. And, you know, there's more that we're going to talk about with his story coming up is, yeah, this guy just doesn't care. <laughs> That's, yeah. from what we've read so far, he just doesn't give a shit. Exactly. Like, he just seems like he's just like, whatever, uh, you know, I killed people because I wanted to, and eh, I'm here now. Right. Just, yeah, whatever. And almost a great detail of his at one life sentence being overturned. I don't know if Marilyn did something with, you know, the death sentence during that time, or if there was still, they th- thought there was a lack of evidence to, to carry out a full death sentence. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm not terribly familiar with the ins and outs of his case and why that happened. But yeah, it could easily just be that they kind of changed their death penalty laws or whatever and decided to back it down a little bit on him. Yeah. I mean, we're already seeing that in other states here currently. We touched on that with the Golden State Killer. And it seems like there's a lot of opinion, you know, both sides of that fence. Some people think it's deserved. And it sounds like that trial, they're actually going to push for the death penalty. No, I've read articles where it says that even though they're going to push for it, he's never going to get it. So it's just going to drag on and on. Yeah. And he seems like the type who's not going to talk anyway. So (laughs) it's not like it's going to matter. Usually they'll use it as leverage to then back it down. They haven't executed anybody in a long time in that state anyway, even with that law on the books. But yeah, so you could run into something similar here where things were changing a little bit. Or like you said, maybe they just didn't have enough evidence to feel like they could hold a conviction on that and they would win on appeal or something. So now we're going to head into the uh, my story as told by Joe. It all started back in July of 1994. I was at work. I was a truck driver. I was working overtime this one night. Then I got off and I went home as I always did. When I opened the door and turned on the light, I noticed there was nothing there. My old lady had taken everything, including my son, and left me. Her leaving was not my problem, but she took my six-year-old son with her. She was a crack addict and a worthless piece of shit. I would have paid her to get out of my life. All she had to do was take my son over to my mother's house, and she could have had everything else and be gone. I found out about six months later that she had moved on the other side of town with some asshole that had her out selling her ass for drugs. They got busted for drugs, and then they took my son away from from them for child neglect and child abuse. I had no chance of going to social services and trying to get my son back, due to my past criminal record. So I took it upon myself with the hatred I had for these two who lost my son to go looking for them. I had found out from someone that they were going under that under that bridge and getting high with some homeless motherfuckers who lived under the bridge. I went under there looking for them. They were not there, but the two homeless motherfuckers that they got high with were down there. They were passed out on some old stinky mattresses, and that's where they were when I left, except they were dead from being chopped up. That same night, I lured the first crack whore down under the bridge. I got her high and was trying to get information out of her about my old lady's whereabouts. She acted like she didn't know, so I beat the hell out of her and raped her ass and killed her. I put her in some bushes and went and lured the second bitch down there. I did the same to her as the last one, but as I was about to throw her in the bushes with the other one, I noticed an old black man down by the river fishing, looking back up at me. I grabbed a steel pipe that was laying by and ran down on him and laid his head wide open. So I put the two girls and him in the river and weighed them down with rocks. 
That was a very busy night for me, five murders within about seven hours. I washed up in that river and cleaned up the crime scene as much as I could, then left. Two and a half weeks later, I was arrested and charged with the murders of the two men I chopped up. I spent close to 18 months in Baltimore City Jail waiting to go to trial. The trial lasted one week and was thrown out of court because of lack of evidence. I was free again. I went back and talked to my old boss into giving my job back to me at the pallet company. There was a little trailer on the property, so I told my boss to let me stay there and I could keep an eye on the place. He agreed to this and gave me the keys to the front gate and the main building. The company was on a dead-end road and was very isolated. It was perfect for what I wanted to do. I lured two more crack whores up there to my trailer. I killed and butchered their bodies up. I cut the meat up and put it in some Tupperware bowls and then put it in a freezer. I buried the remains in several shallow graves in the little woods behind the company. Over the next couple weeks on the weekends, I opened up a little open pit beef stand. I had real roast beef and pork sandwiches, and why not? They were very good. The human body taste was very similar to pork. If you mix it together, no one can tell the difference. Everything was going pretty good until I ran out of my special meat, so I lured another bitch up to the trailer. I got her in there and started to rip her clothes off and knocking the hell out of her. She was screaming, but there was no one around to hear her except for me, and I just kept on laughing at her. I turned around for a split second, and that was my mistake, for she ran out the door before I could get to her. There was an eight-foot chain-link fence with barbed wires on the top of it around the front of the company. There was a stack of wooden pallets next to the fence about ten feet high. That bitch scaled those pallets like a monkey and jumped the fence and ran down to the main road where some guy in a pickup truck picked her up and took her to a nearby gas station, where they called the cops. Well, I knew the cops were on the way, but I didn't run. I gathered up her clothing, grabbed the keys to the gate, and went out and opened it. As soon as I stepped out the gate, a cop car pulled up, and the cop jumped out and pulled his gun on me and told me to get on the ground. And that is where it all came to an end. They took me down and booked me. She had told them that I said I was going to kill her like the rest, which was true. They had me sitting in a little room down at the homicide drilling me and damn near kissing my ass, trying to find out what I had done. They pulled me out of city jail every day for a month, taking me back and forth between the company and the bridge. I had them going crazy over at the company, digging up the remains of those two bitches there, because I had their remains buried in seven different holes. The only thing I feel bad about in any of this is I didn't get to murder the two motherfuckers I was really after, and that's my ex-old lady and the bastard she hooked up with. Well, that's my story, horrible but true. So the next time you're riding down the road and you happen to see an open pit beef stand that you've never seen before, make sure you think about this story before you take your next bite of that sandwich. Sometimes you never know who who you may be eating. Ha ha. Well, uh, <laughs> that's pretty rough. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, there's so much going on in this story that this guy's telling and it's just like... I don't know. Do you get a feeling that he's just, like, making some of this shit up? Like, yeah, he murdered people, but, like, I feel like he's making it, like, more than it was, almost. Maybe some of it, but do you think that he really did cut those people up and serve them on sandwiches? It sounds like a pretty elaborate, I mean, not really, it doesn't really sound like an elaborate scheme, but, I mean, he, he claims that he knows what they tasted like. You mix them in with a little bit of pork and you can't even tell. So, according to him, he ate it, too. That's what makes me wonder if this is real, like this part of it. Like, obviously he's killing people, but he almost seems like the kind of guy, like if you listen to the very beginning where his mother's disputing like 90% of what he's saying, and then, you know, he goes and tells you these kinds of stories. He sounds like these stories sound to me like completely made up and boasting, like to just make himself sound like he's more of a badass. Like, 
yeah, he murdered some people, but I don't believe that he like was selling people in an open pit barbecue stand on the side of the road. I just don't believe it. I mean, maybe it's true. I don't know. I don't, I haven't done any of the research to find out whether or not that's been verified because maybe it has. I probably should look, but um, I don't know. I just don't, I don't necessarily buy it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it could be possible because I mean, if he did chop them up, I mean, they said he did chop them up with an ax. I'm sure they had the evidence there to, to show that that was how they were dismembered or whatever he did to them. But that's, I mean, we've had what one case right now where we know where pork chop Rob, he was grinding up people and taking them to the refectory company <laughs> and serving them to their own family for Christ's sakes. I mean, I guess yeah. it, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but all this stuff is coming from him. Like nobody proved it as far as I know, you know? And so I don't know. I have a hard time really believing his story. I have to believe though, like to some degree that because it's out there so much and no one's really refuted it from what I've researched and seen, like I haven't really seen a whole lot of people like saying like, nah, that did not happen. I don't know. Um, possibly, it possibly happened, I guess, but it's really hard for me to tell for sure. I'm, I'm skeptical. How about that? Yeah. Probably the thing that irks me the most is if the story is true and look at the other case, like I just said, we look at Port Chop Rob and what he did. How many instances do you think that something like this has happened where the person hasn't been caught and people have eaten this and not known it? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't think... Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty sick people out there, but I don't know. I, I don't know that it's happened, like, a ton. And the reason I say that is that'd be pretty hard to pull off. Like, there's a lot that goes into doing that. Like, you know, it's one thing to, like, kill somebody and then go, like, bury them somewhere. But it's another thing to, like, kill them, harvest the meat from them, store it somewhere, cook it. Serve, like, there's a whole lot of steps involved in that. I just don't know. I mean, I'm sure it happens like more than we obviously would know about, but I just don't, I don't see that being a thing like that's just super well known. Right. Well, we have never alluded to, to Jeffrey Dahmer on this show, but I think it might be time to, to bring his name up. I mean, we, he's well known and evidence was found in his house that he was doing this for his own personal consumption. Yep. And yeah, I can see that happening this guy doesn't come across to me as like a hardcore killer. You know what I mean? I mean, he's obviously is hardcore. He did some very heinous things. Don't get me wrong. Here I am <laughs> going to piss people off. Oh, he chopped people up with axes, but it wasn't that bad. No, it's not, not what I'm trying, <laughs> not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. He boasted that he did a lot of things in a short period of time where as you have somebody like Dahmer has done it for a long period of time lots of mm -hmm. victims. He's very methodical. He's doing crazy things by, you know, keeping organs and keeping body parts. And it's just, it's a different person, a different case for sure. And I don't think that this case has any parallel to that at all. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Well, yeah, and that's kind of what I'm getting at, and you're touching on it, is like when he's talking about how he like just went under the bridge and just started like murdering a bunch of people, and there's this black dude watching him, you know, fishing, and I just went down and beat him with this random pipe that I happened to find that happened to conveniently be located right there, but nobody ever found the bodies. You know, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's something strange about it. Like, he's trying to inflate his numbers, you know, and, like, inflate, like, how nasty and gross he is. And, like, there's something about him where I'm picking up this vibe that what he's saying isn't the whole truth, and it's very boastful in the way that he's doing it. Almost like he's talking to other prisoners and, you know, like, trying to brag about himself so that he has like extra cred or something. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, exactly. I can see that for sure. Because if he wants to put this kind of information out and he does get put on death row, then people are going to, they're going to take it one of two ways. They're like, we need to kill this guy right now because we don't want to end up on one of his pork sandwiches or, or opposite of that. We want to stay away from this guy because he is just completely and totally fucked up. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, he just, like the way he's talking about it just really doesn't sit right with me. And like the more I'm thinking about it, I had five murders in about seven hours. I washed up in the river. <laughs> like what? I don't know. And all of this was because his crack whore wife left and took his son, you know, like, I don't know. It almost seems like he's trying to concoct like almost like a, a superhero origin story for why he became a murderer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I definitely don't know if he's a superhero, but when we uh, get this case posted out there and we get his picture out there on some of the sites, I wouldn't say superhero, but I would say a really disgusting professional wrestler might be more up his <laughs> more up his alley. He's like fat bastard second cousin. <laughs> I mean, he's just oh yeah, he looks oh man, he's humongous, and he's got some pretty nasty teeth. He reminds me. He almost reminds me of King Kong Bundy. Yeah, he does. Yes, he does. A lot like that guy, but a lot, I mean, a lot more disgusting looking. King Kong Bundy was a heavy dude, but this guy, like you said, has got nasty teeth and uh, he is nasty. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't eat a, eat a human sandwich. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, he's pretty gross. And yeah, like you said, he's a... Uh... He looks like King Kong Bundy's, like, I don't know, just redneck hillbilly cousin that was inbred three times <laughs> removed, you know? Like, <laughs> he's pretty gross. Oh, yeah. He is definitely gross. And there there's several pictures of him out there. I think a lot of the, the more popular pictures are from when he was younger, but, like, right before he... Like, some of the latest pictures, like, when he had gotten older, he just looks like a decrepit old man, so... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is a fairly short case. I wanted to just talk about this guy because I thought that the story itself was was pretty crazy and wanted to get your take on it. But we can move into the wrap-up and final thoughts here. Well, I mean, you did want to tell people 
that they were likely served ass-fed beef from the open pit barbecue, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. I'm glad you brought it up. Yes, David is quoting Craig and saying that, so a, a terrible, terrible joke. <laughs> but it's in it. But it is within the realm of possibility that it was truly ass-fed beef. Oh, yeah, like, it is kind of a joke, but it's kind of not a joke, and that's why it's sort of funny in a, like, ooh, because, eh. you know, like, while it is a joke and you're making it at their expense, I don't necessarily buy the story either, so it could totally be made up, but at the same time, he could have served the meat of someone's ass to somebody, and it could have been ass-fed beef, essentially. I mean, I guess not technically beef, because it's not from a cow, but, you know. Still come from I don't know. Still come from a crack whore's ass. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the best kind of beef you can get. <laughs> Oof. Oof. We you know, eat a little ass fed beef and uh, catch a little buzz. <laughs> Oof. We better stop now, or we're gonna we're gonna be accosted on social media for this. <laughs> this is this is what happens when we record at uh, 10 p.m. instead of 5 a.m. <laughs> that's right. This is a totally polar opposite of waking up in the morning and the first thing we're doing is trying to read and <laughs> and make and judge or uh put together serious thoughts yeah no kidding uh i get a little loopy as the evening wears on and uh stay up past my bedtime you might catch some catch one of some nasty jokes here <laughs> okay we'll move on into the wrap-up and final thoughts Matheny used graphic language in begging the jury for the death penalty and at one point said the words, I'm sorry, will never come out, for they would be a lie. I am more than willing to give up my life for what I have done, to have God judge me and send me to hell for eternity. He later said he killed because I just enjoyed it. He was serving life in prison after having his death penalty sentence and the murder of Magaziner overturned on July 24, 2000, before being found dead in his prison cell at the Western Correctional Institution in Cumberland, Maryland on August 5, 2017, at the age of 62. Yeah, so, I mean, pretty much summed up what I was picking up from the whole narrative to begin with was this dude is not remorseful for anything that he ever did. Nope, and he's, he essentially pleaded for the death penalty, which which is what kind of shocked me on why they overturned it. That's interesting to point, because if somebody admits to doing something like that and they show zero remorse for what they've done, and they ask to be put to death, why doesn't the judicial system grant them their wish, if that's their final wish? Yeah, it is kind of strange that you can be convicted of all of these things, and then you want to be put to death, and nothing comes of it. Right. And I am trying like hell right now, sorry, to look up. There was a case not that long ago, and I think the guy ended up committing suicide in prison, but he had essentially begged for the death penalty for years, and I cannot remember the guy's name to save the life of me. Yeah, I don't remember that either, but I do remember the details of what you're talking about. And yeah, there was somebody who was like, yeah, just please put me to death. Uh, just do it. And they wouldn't do it. <laughs> so um, that dragged on for a while. Yeah, count countless interviews. The guy said, I'm guilty. I did this. I can't live with myself. Just put me out of my misery, basically. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's strange how, you know, you have some of that stuff take place and like there is no recourse for it. Like, I don't know. It is, it's strange in a way. Like, yeah, you found me guilty of all this stuff. You're, you've got me sentenced to death, but you won't just move me to the front of the line. Yeah. It, it's, 
I mean, I, I'm sure there's still, there's some kind of logic or good reason why they don't. I, I mean, I don't know why they don't, but I don't know if it's a matter of, you know, something happening where they're afraid the family's going to file a lawsuit against them and saying that he wasn't allowed to have his due process, even though that's what he requested or she requested. It could be, you know, male or female, I guess, is requesting the, you know, the ultimate punishment. But I, I don't know how those things work. It just seems asinine to me to drag on a death penalty case for 10 to 15 years when somebody is ready to, you know, basically be ready to hand down their punishment and get it over with. Why waste the time? And at the same time, though, you got to remember, um, you know, when somebody wants to die like that, you almost don't want them to because it's more of a punishment that they stay in jail. And the whole point is to be punished. Yeah, that's true. That is a good point. It's almost like you're torturing them in a way. Ha, ha. We could do this if we wanted to, but we're not going to because we know that's not what you want. Yeah, exactly. You want to die? Okay, well, we'll let you stick around for like another 10 years in prison. I mean, it is at the expense of the taxpayer. And I don't know. I guess since we had a shorter episode here, let's talk about the death penalty a little bit. So what are your official thoughts on having a death penalty and using it? I mean, I think there's varying degrees of the offender and what has actually happened. You have cases like this where the guy admits to what he's done and accepts the death penalty and wants it. By next episode, I'll find that other guy because I I watched a lot of his videos and it's killing me that I can't remember his name, but he had several interviews where it's just like, you know, get it over with. I'm ready. There's no reason to keep me around. And then you have a case like Joseph D'Angelo. DNA evidence, 100%. You know, it's a slam dunk. The guy did it. Why would you not even think about killing him? I, I think that that, in a case like that, I think it's completely justified. There's going to be other cases where, you know, the evidence is a little bit more lacking. You know, does the does the punishment fit the crime? I think there's varying degrees. Yeah, I um, I have mixed feelings on it. You know, on one hand, like part of me really hates that, you know, we pay all this money to keep people on death row, you know, for such a long period of time. And it's really expensive to do it. But at the same time, I would want that luxury afforded to me. You know, if something happened and I was on death row, I'd want all my appeals available and everything. If, you know, say you're innocent, you know, and you and you want to prove it, you always have to take it. You always have to take it from the view of the the air, the, almost the side of I don't know what I'm trying to say, like in a way of like if you have a person who could possibly be innocent on death row and you're going to execute them versus a person that you've proven 100 percent guilty, like there's so much in between those two that I don't necessarily feel comfortable having a death penalty that doesn't have some stipulations to it. You know, you could be found guilty in the court of law and be completely innocent. It's happened a million times and people get framed all the time. And so like if you have, like we were talking about Joseph D'Angelo, you know, barring some kind of miraculous screw up by the prosecution and doing something really stupid, they've got him. I mean, they nailed him, right? He's genetically linked to it. And so as long as the the genetic testing and the genetic genealogy f- aspect of that case all lines up and, you know, you can explain it and walk um, general people through their process that they went through and how they did it and prove that it was legit, you can convict and kill that guy. Like, I would have no problem with that. That dude caused way more terror than it's worth to keep him around. 
However, if you were just going on circumstantial evidence and had no DNA evidence on him, I'd be a little more iffy on it. Because what if he didn't do it? You know? And to me, like, we almost should just resign ourselves as a country to you either meet this criteria. What, and I'm not going to say what the criteria is. I'm not an expert. I don't know. And so I don't want to say what it is. But in my opinion, it would be like you meet uh, three criteria. And if you check all three boxes, then you are eligible to be sentenced to execution. If you don't meet all three, whatever the number is, then you stay over here on this side. Yeah. You're just life in prison. I, I completely agree. It might not even need to be three criteria. When you have a case like uh, Joseph D'Angelo, you know it's 100% slam dunk with the DNA evidence. You're putting your trust in science that it's right. And, you know, I think, I like you said, I'm not an expert either, especially on the science side of things. But if that's a 100% conclusive evidence, then that might be the only factor that needs to come into play. But on the other hand, you have these guys on death row, and if they don't have that DNA evidence that, you know, directly pins them to the crime, that's where that's where the gray area comes in. That's where you have to ask the question, did this guy really do it? I mean, especially if you have DNA that's not the person that's locked up for the crime. You know, obviously, that, that raises a ton of questions. Yeah, I mean, the very first case we did was Robert Buell, and they convicted Two people or I think it was two people in the neighborhood that they just thought were like nuisance people and they just convicted them. And then they found another girl was murdered or whatever. And then they went after Buell. They were able to track him down based off of carpet fibers, like excellent police work to get to the guy. But they had the DNA, you know, eventually to to say what was going on. And so, yeah, it's really interesting, you know, like the way that they can catch these people. But again... You have composite sketches of people and nobody knows who you are. You know what I mean? So like I have a picture of the person who did it and a lot of times they're pretty close, you know, and a lot of people still don't believe it or don't, you know, you can't convict off the picture alone, you know, and stuff like that. So I guess what I'm trying to say with that is while you can even like show somebody a direct picture of the person, like there's still a lot more to the story, you know, and who knows? And, and sometimes, like, you know, in certain cases where DNA is not involved, like, you know, people lie. People get framed. Like, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that's shady. And I would hate for people to be put to death who were truly innocent. Yeah, I'm sure it's happened, though, unfortunately. And that's that's the that's the bad side of it. I'm sure it's happened. Yeah, and how bad would you feel if you executed a prisoner and they weren't even guilty to begin with. I mean, how many stories have we seen in the news where like a guy gets out of jail after 20 years in jail because he was innocent the whole time, but just lost. And then he goes and sues the state and wins like, you know, $2 million or whatever. It's like, I I wouldn't want that $2 million to trade my freedom for two decades. Yeah. Essentially in some cases it could be half of your, you know, your lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's a touchy situation for sure. I, I think if there's criteria, though, like you said, that 100% without a doubt, we know that this person, you know, committed this crime and they're guilty. I, ha- I have no problem with the death penalty in that case. I do have a problem just like what we've been talking about. If it's if there's any any slight hint of maybe this person didn't do it maybe that's somebody else or maybe they they 
are uh, just a, an accomplice. I, I've heard I've heard cases where somebody's just an accomplice to a crime like that, and they get a death sentence, which is kind of crazy to me. Yeah, absolutely. And we the, just the last case that we just talked about with uh, Homolka, she was an accomplice, and in many cases probably could have been I, very easily had the tapes came out, she would have at the least got the same sentence as Bernardo. She would have been sentenced to life, no questions asked. But she got off on that technicality and took that plea before the tapes were out. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's shady. Yeah, I mean, she was she was definitely an accessory, uh, if not a full blown participant in like a lot of that activity. And she just got really lucky for whatever reason, even though she is batshit crazy. Yep. Well, maybe not. Apparently, according to her. Uh, attorney's brother who married her and had children. She's a good mom living a new life. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but I mean, she was an accomplice in killing her own sister. So I don't know how you can be a good person on any level after something like that. No, you're not. I, I don't know. I have a lot of questions about the, uh, <laughs> the person willing to marry her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, not to mention her attorney held the tapes. She took the deal knowing that she was getting, basically getting off scot-free. I mean, 12 years is a long time, but considering what it could have been. What it should have been. What it should have been, <laughs> right. And her lawyer knew that, and I'm pretty sure her... I think it was his lawyer, the Bernardo's lawyer, that held the tapes, if I remember. Oh, I don't okay. think it was her lawyer. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he he had the tapes and didn't give them away fast enough, and then just the way that the timing of things, like they couldn't get him. But she still ended up marrying the guy's brother, right? The the attorney's brother. Yeah, I believe so. That's just crazy to me. And then moved to another country and changed her name. So they tried to change her name, or no, they did. They did end up changing it, right? Yeah, they did. They did finally change it. She tried to change her name a couple of times and they didn't let her. And then she finally did. Yep. Crazy. Crazy shit, for sure. <laughs> well, on that note. We're going to wrap up this week's episode, so if you enjoyed our show, please leave us a rating out on iTunes, if you don't mind, and we would appreciate that. If you'd like to help us out and support us financially, you can do so by heading to our website or in your podcast player. Um, You can head out to the Anchor support page where you can donate to the show um, if you'd like. That would be fantastic. Otherwise, you can enjoy our content provided free to you every week. That being said, we are done for the week. Stay safe.